first. Okay, do you want to do the clapping? Yes. Okay. One, two, three. Perfect. Yay. It's really perfect every time on my end. Are you a good witch or a bad bitch? Bad bitch, bad bitch. I've been a rebel all my life. We will not remain hidden figures. We have names. Oh, if this naughty to rules your lips, take your shoulders, take your hips, and let a lady confess I want to be bad. I didn't kid you, did I? Well, now you know. Did you see the, the, I think it must have been TikTok or Instagram or something, of the guy in his bathroom with a glass of wine and yes. he's cheersing his reflection? <laughs> well, thank you, everybody, for coming. Uh, cheers. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God, that killed me. It's pretty great. Oh, uh, it killed me. People, this is the thing about, like, shit like this is people are just the best. Humans are pretty when, great. We're resilient. Like, humans are pretty great. We're pretty, pretty shitty, great. but we're also pretty great. Yeah, like the humor is is a plus right now. Yeah. We've got some very very funny people. Yes, doing doing some lighthearted things that are helping out. Yes, yeah. So uh, welcome to week two of quarantine podcasting. <laughs> and we, to be perfectly frank, we are recording this um, long before you're going to hear it. About, about a week, week before, before you're, you're going to hear it. it. So we have no way of knowing what the situation is going to be in a week. Yep. As of right now, we are about to go under lockdown, I believe. I think we're going to get a shelter-in-place order um, in the next 48 hours, is what I heard. Mm-hmm. We'll see. So we'll see. Only time I, will We tell. will know. Yeah. As we're By editing the time this, this comes out, it'll be interesting to hear what we thought was going to happen versus what actually happened. But yeah. That's where we're at. That's so we're welcome. At. And this is Good and Witches, Bad Bitches. That's right. I'm Deanna. I'm Hannah. And uh, let's talk about ladies, shall we? Let's, uh, let's talk about ladies. Keep our minds on and off of this thing. As you know, last yeah. week we talked about Typhoid Mary, which is very appropriate. And I, this week, am more focused on that... Um, Mr. Rogers, I think it is, quote, where it's like in times of need, you like always look for the helpers. Oh. So because they're always there. Yeah. And so I want to talk about a helper. I'm glad. This is one of the reasons why I wanted to go first, because I had a feeling you would pick someone in this realm. Yeah. And I wanted it to be, you know, I wanted to put us in a positive place. Yeah, it is. Because I know next week might be a little tricky for everybody i think it's overall a positive legacy but i say that with Mm -hmm. an asterisk okay i want to talk today um about susan lafleche who is the first native american woman to earn a medical degree oh which is complicated because obviously that's by western standards of medicine right so you have to take all of that into account but she earned a medical degree at a time when women were barely earning medical degrees to begin with. And right. I, she might have been the first Native American full stop, not just Native American woman, but Native American full stop to earn a Western medicine degree and become a licensed wow. physician. I And I have like no way of knowing when this was. This could have been the 70s for all I know because <laughs> of how we treat 
you know, indigenous cultures. But. This is very true. So let's let's delve right on in. Um, my sources this week are a Smithsonian Magazine article by Carson Vaughn, uh, History.com piece by Christopher Klein, and then uh, LegendsofAmerica.com. Oh, I love them. Legends yeah. of America does a lot of good content about Native and i think American they might be kind of a history. wiki a wiki style website because i couldn't find uh, an author but here we go oh. dun, 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 dun. Dun, 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 dun. eight-year-old susan the flesh sat at the bedside of an elderly woman puzzled as to why the doctor had yet to arrive after uh-huh. all he'd been summoned four times and four times he promised to come straight away as the night grew longer the sick woman's breathing grew fainter until she died in agony before the break of dawn Even to a young girl, the message delivered by the doctor's absence was painfully clear. It was only an Indian. Ugh. That searing moment stoked the fire inside of Susan to one day heal fellow members of her Omaha tribe. It's always been a desire of mine to study medicine ever since I was a small girl, she wrote years later. For even then, I saw the need of my people for a good physician. So, going back a little bit in time just to preface the context of her okay. existence. Yes. Let's talk about the year 1837, in which uh, following a trip to Washington on the government's dime, Chief Big Elk of the Omaha tribe returned to his people with a warning. Quote, there's a coming flood which will soon reach us, and I advise you to prepare for it, he told them. Hmm. In the bustling streets of the nation's capital, he'd seen the future of civilization, put that in quotes, A universe at odds with the Omaha's traditional ways. To survive, Big Elk said, they must adapt. Before his death in 1853, he chose a man with a similar vision to succeed him as chief of the Omaha tribe, a man of French and Indian descent named Joseph LaFleche. And I say Indian because that's what the author said, but we all know Indian to mean Native American. And if I say that, that's what's quoted in the article. Okay. Um, Fair enough. He was also known as Iron Eye. That was his Omaha name. Ooh. So uh, decade after decade, Joseph LaFleche struggled to keep threading an elusive bicultural needle, one that he believed would ensure the success of his children and the survival of his people. Um, and that's something written by Joe Starita, who wrote a biography of Susan LaFleche in 2016 called A Warrior of the People. So if people want to investigate Ooh, yeah. further about her, there's a book about her that came out in 2016. Yeah. His vision, basically, as a chief was a bold push for assimilation, which is a very complicated yeah. way to go about it. But of course, since he is of mixed descent already, surely he had enough time to be indoctrinated, for lack of a better word, by both French culture and Native American culture and right. figure out which way the wind was blowing and what way. Um, Do we know if he <clears throat> um, lived outside of his tribe? Or I don't think so. Raised. I don't okay. think so. Yeah, that's complicated. Both he that's and, super and his he and his wife were both mixed, French and Native American. Okay. Um. So he was. He said it's either civilization or extermination. He said that over and over, which I find interesting because it's it's him. It's out of the words of his own mouth, but it's it's interesting to see how he also imparted that on his children, that. Western culture was civilized, that sort of uh, way of thinking that Europeans believed and were taught to believe and how it sort of spread into 
Native American culture. And even they were, you know, basically taught to believe that their culture was less advanced in a lot of ways. Wow. That is... (laughs) Before um, you said that, I, it, I didn't even pick up on that. Mm-hmm. God. But anyway, let's keep moving. No, that's, I think that's a really interesting, it's a really interesting point because I, I know he wasn't alone in thinking that, but also mm-hmm. there is this, there is this threat that you will end up losing your culture if you assimilate yeah. Like, if you assimilate your people, where does your culture, who who continues your culture? Like exactly. Who, who holds your beliefs for you? And that is a really tough thing to tell people who have been experiencing extermination for the last hundred plus years well, at I mean, the hands in, of the people that you are saying in many ways, with. He is certainly correct. It's either join or be killed, join or die. And so, yeah, and in a sense, at that time, there's the death of your culture or your actual death. Right. And both of those are terrible options. Um, yes. But anyway, so that was his idea. He wanted the Omaha to learn how to live in Western fashion, basically. Um, and that view wasn't readily adopted by his whole tribe, of course. Yeah. Um, soon the Omaha splintered between the Young Men's Party, open to the incorporation of white customs, and the Chief's Party, a group loyal to traditional medicine men who wouldn't budge. Hmm. When the Young Men's Party started building log cabins rather than teepees, laying out roads and farming individual parcels, the conservatives nicknamed the north side of the reservation the Village of the Make-Believe White Men. Whoa. Yeah. It was here. Oh, shit. It was here in a log cabin shared by her three older sisters that Susan grew up learning to walk a tightrope between her heritage and her future. These were choices made to venture into the new world that confronted the Omahas, says John Wunder, Wunder, Professor Emeritus of History and Journalism at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. The LaFleche family was adept at learning and adopting languages, religions, and cultures. They never forgot their Omaha culture. They were, they were, we might say, enriched uh, with a greater knowledge of their new neighbors. Um, so it was here in the village of the make-believe white men that LaFleche first <laughs> met a Harvard anthropologist named Alice Cunningham Fletcher, a woman's rights advocate who would one day shepherd her to the east and up the long, often prejudiced ladder of formal education. Was she Quaker? <laughs> Probably. I There was like mention of Quakerism at some point in this. I think one of her first schools that Susan went to was a Quaker school. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> I, I'm curious about that. Unsurprising. Um, yep. And it was here in the village of the, wake, the make-believe white men that a young Susan LaFleche at eight stayed at the bedside of an elderly woman dying, waiting for the white doctor to arrive. She was born in a buckskin teepee on the Omaha Indian Reservation in Northeast Nebraska on June 17, 1865, and was never given a traditional Omaha name by her parents. Mm. So because, as previously stated, her father believed his children as well as his tribe were now living in a white man's world, which would, uh, that change would be the only constant. So he opted to name his children all Western names and didn't give them traditional names. And they grew up in those log cabins and they grew up wearing victorian style dress yep 1865 you said was when she was born yep yeah okay. yep. 
So he began an almost like intense indoctrination of his four daughters. They would have to speak English and go to white schools. Wow. Yeah. But he also insisted that Susan learn the tribe's traditional songs, beliefs, customs, and language in order to retain her Omaha identity. So he was trying to straddle that fence in a way, but but he thought that that should be secondary, I think. Yeah, like he would like he wanted her to know the customs, but he didn't want her to have a traditional Omaha identity. Well, she went to a Presbyterian mission school on the reservation. So she learned English and became a Christian. Wow. Um, And at the age of 14, she was sent to attend uh, a girl's school in Elizabeth, New Jersey. So complicated. You were right when you when you called this complicated. Yes. Um, She was there for two years and I think maybe that school in New Jersey was the Quaker school, but I could be wrong. Um, And she was so she was there for two years and then returned to the reservation in 1882, where she taught at a school there on the res. Okay. Um, Even though she was 16. (laughs) But I guess that makes sense. Um, At that time, I think a lot of young women were tutors and teachers. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Wasn't there someone else we talked about? Probably. Who was? Probably. Yeah, we've talked about a lot of people but But, so then in 1884 she returned to higher education at the hampton institute in virginia for two more years um during her time there like she took classes with the children of former slaves and other native americans so clearly it was a school for non-white people (laughs) um and uh she was encouraged while there to apply for a scholarship from the u.s office of indian affairs to pursue a medical degree and she got that scholarship. Um, and I just want to say she was fluent in English. Her native tongue could speak French and Oto, too. Otoe? Oto? Um, she quoted scripture and Shakespeare and spent her free time learning to paint and play the piano. So clearly she was a wow. very talented person. And hungry. Yes. Like, ambitious, like for sure. Educationally hungry. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. So... When she graduated uh, from Hampton, there's this interesting quote of hers from the speech that she gave, Oh, which is simultaneously very progressive and forward thinking and very backward to me with my (laughs) modern lens. She says, we who are educated here have to be pioneers of Indian civilization. The white people have reached a high standard of civilization, but how many years has it taken them? We're only beginning, so do not try to put us down. Help us to climb higher. Give us a chance. Wow. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> you're right. Through a modern lens, that's very. She's like. I, I mean, she's it's like a little white bit people like... have been able to do great because they've been at it for longer. It's like no, we've all been existing. <laughs> well, it's a little bit. It's a little bit like drinking the Kool Aid. Yeah. You know mm-hmm. of of this idea that indigenous cultures here were quote-unquote savages and had no civilization right which is false it is but you know but at a certain point there's only so much that i can say for how i feel about it because i am very white and of course she's uh pretty iconic i think and it's really important to talk about her even though people are people we all have complicated she lived in I mean, a different everybody's world. Everybody's got, yeah, crazy beliefs or or crazy varied beliefs is what 
I should say. Like we, we all have so many facets and that is absolutely true of the people we talk about mm-hmm. regardless of where they come from. And it is interesting to hear about how she was raised and how she thinks of her own culture. Which she clearly loves and she loves her people, yes. as you'll see more. Right. Um, yeah. But at the same time, she, she wants to it. enrich her tribe, give them more opportunities for education and and uh, health care. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, it does seem to sort of have this root knowledge of like, well, I need to learn from white people so I can go back and teach them how it's supposed to be done. Right. But I don't know for sure. I don't know. Anyone, no. if, if we have any native listeners who care to comment, by all means. Um, <clears throat> yeah, it's tricky. But anyway, so she took her scholarship and mm-hmm. enrolled at the Women's Medical College of Pennsylvania. She was 21 years old. And it was one of the only medical schools to accept women as students in the late 1800s. Wow. Which, if it was in Pennsylvania, maybe that was the Quaker school. Very, very possibly. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So, apparently, Omaha means against the current. And um, you could argue that few members of that tribe embodied the name better than Susan LaFleche. Um, because she was going to medical school at a time when even the most privileged of white women faced severe discrimination. Right. Um, there were articles published in journals like Popular Science Monthly that argued women faced an intellectual disadvantage because their brains were smaller <laughs> and uh. their menstrual cycles made them unfit for scientific pursuits. Ah, uh, yes. A Harvard doctor wrote that a 300-page thesis asserting that women should be barred from attending college because the stress would harm their reproductive organs. Wow, that's a whole separate podcast. I swear to fucking God. No. This idea that like stress makes our wombs wander. Come the fuck on. So while she was at medical school, um, she studied chemistry, pharmaceutical science, uh, obstetrics, anatomy, and histology, along with general medicine. But how? Um, Her brain was too small. I know. She was overcoming the stigma of women being in higher education and the racism against her native heritage. And she thrived. At school, um, she was valedictorian of her class of 36 women and wow. graduated in uh, 1889. Uh, I found some sources that said she graduated a year early and others that didn't mention anything. So maybe she did. Maybe she didn't. Um, okay. And she worked an internship for a year in Pennsylvania after she graduated. So she internship could. Internship in, in a hospital or. Presumably some sort of medical practice. Cool. Um. She could suture wounds, deliver babies, treat tuberculosis, among many other things. But just want to be clear, at this time, because she was a woman, she couldn't vote. And because she was Native American, she couldn't even call herself a citizen under U.S. law. Oh, God. Yeah. I didn't even think of that. But we've talked about it. It didn't happen until, like, mid-century, mid-20th century, (laughs) that Native Americans became official U.S. citizens, which is insane. Um, And still not even what was wanted but was necessary given how everything had gone crazy Mm -hmm. so um she was prodded and asked to remain on the east coast where she could have lived a very comfortable existence she was a very talented doctor valedictorian of course but um then she opted at the age of 24 to return to the reservation where she grew up wow 
And none of the challenges of her education could really fully prepare her for what she encountered upon her return to the reservation as a physician for the Omaha agency, which was operated by the Office of Indian Affairs. So clearly the U.S. government was still a part of that. Um, yep. Soon after she opened her doors to her new office in the government boarding school, the tribe began to file in. Many of them were sick with tuberculosis or cholera. Others were simply looking for a clean place to rest. Um, she became their doctor, but in many ways, she was also their lawyer, accountant, priest, and political liaison. Oh, my God. So many of the sick who came to see her at this uh, um, practice insisted mm-hmm. on seeing her and not the other doctor who was there, who was a white man. Oh, yeah. And so the white man quit <laughs> because nobody wanted uh, yeah, to see him. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, but it made her God. the only physician on the reservation, which stretched nearly 1,350 square miles. Oh, my God. Yeah. So she made a lot of house calls, which were, Ugh. of course, at this time, very arduous. Long portions of her 20-hour work days <gasps> were spent wrapped in a buffalo robe, driving her buggy through blankets of snow and biting sub-zero winds with her mares, Pat and Pudge, as her only companions. When she Do returned, we not have a movie about her? I don't think so. There's no film about her. She, I Good think she only just God. recently came into uh, public light, as many of the women we talk about. I know. Um, it's so true. When she returned home, the woman known as Dr. Sue or Dr. Susan often found a line of wheezing and coughing patients awaiting her. Her office hours never ended. And while she slept, the lantern lit in her window remained a beacon for anyone in need of help. Wow. Oh. She dreamed of one day building a hospital for her tribe, but for now she made house calls on foot, walking miles through wind and snow. Um, But even after risking her own life to reach a distant patient, she would often encounter Omahas who rejected her diagnosis and questioned everything she'd learned in a school so far away. And I think the biggest Mm -hmm. reason for this was not necessarily because she was a woman, but I think it was because of the tensions created by her father who had split the Omaha to those who supported assimilation and those who did not. So they didn't want to trust the teachings she learned from the white man. Yeah. Um, Oh. Yeah. Which is hard because a lot of their diseases came from white people Mm -hmm. and were only diagnosable by white medicine. Yes. Because how else would they know? Yep. Um, And through all this, she was paid only $500 a year. And was forced to buy her own supplies when the Bureau of Indian Affairs ran out of supplies. Um, But she did receive another $250 from the Women's National Indian Association for her work as a medical missionary. Um, Jesus. That being said, as difficult as it may have been for her to straddle two civilizations, she did manage to do it. um, Because ultimately, those people with no trust of white doctors trusted her more, even though she learned from white doctors they trusted her more than they would have trusted. And rightly so, because even today we have problems where doctors don't listen to black women and their problems. Right. Well, she spoke their language. She understood their customs and their culture. Yeah. Because they were her customs and her culture. And that's funny because that next sentence literally says the people trusted her because she spoke their language and knew their customs. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. I I completely understand it. Mm hmm. I completely understand it, you know? I mean, even though this is not comparable in the slightest, this happens with women patients. Yeah, this happens with female patients of all colors with male 
physicians. Yeah. Because men cannot possibly know what a woman means when she says, or a person with a uterus means when they say, I have cramps and my pain level is at X level. Yeah. They cannot possibly know what that means. Right. They don't know to take any of that seriously. Right. It It is problematic on so many levels. And that is only, I'm only talking about, you know, I, uh, sex differences. Yeah. Not, not even cultural differences or yeah. language differences or any of those things. Like, so I get it. Yeah. I get it. So in 1893, um, her busy schedule of tending to the medical needs of a whole tribe in like a 1,350 square mile radius um, took its toll. And she was uh, bedridden for two months after she fell off a horse. Oh, shit. Like with broken bones or? Probably. Okay. Okay. No. But in 1894, she married a South Dakota Sioux man named Henry Picot. Picot? Picot? Picot is how it would be said in French. Picot. Um, and that's probably. It probably is a French name. Um, <clears throat> even though he was Sioux, but, you know, La Flèche is French, too. But anyway, yep. um, they moved to Bancroft, Nebraska. Bancroft. Um, <laughs> here, she would set up a private practice and the couple would have two sons, Carol, born in 1895, and Pierre in 1896. Mm. Her medical practice in Bancroft served both white and native patients. And she kept on shattering stereotypes by continuing to work at a time when when women had children and were married were expected to be full-time homemakers and mothers. Right. Um, she faced a constant struggle to serve her people and serve her husband and children. She was haunted by that she was spreading herself so thin that she wasn't the doctor, mother, or wife she felt she should be. Um, relatable. The very Hashtag fears haunting relatable. her as a woman in the closing years of the 19th century are those still haunting women in the opening <laughs> years of the 21st. Okay, I'll stop being psychic. I'm so sorry. No, I love it. Please. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's wild. Um, as a physician, she preached hygiene and prevention along with the healing power of fresh air and sunshine. All right. She advocated for the use of screen doors to keep out disease-carrying flies and waged unpopular campaigns against communal drinking cups and mezcal used in new religious ceremonies. Oh. Uh, she was, uh, I'll get into it now. <laughs> she also spoke out against white whiskey peddlers who preyed on the tribe members and continued her father's work as a passionate prohibitionist. Oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. But she was controversial among prohibitionists because she supported the peyote religion, which oh. obviously is a native religious movement that sought to introduce peyote into spiritual tradition. So she was fine with that, but she just hated that alcoholism was a problem introduced by white peddlers who preyed on people on the reservation. That's still a fucking problem yeah. today. Yes, it is. Mm -hmm. Yes, it 100% is. Mm-hmm. So she led temperance campaigns on the reservation, which I think is interesting considering your episode yeah. about prohibitionists. Prohibition. Yep. Um, that was a couple episodes back for anyone who is curious. Mm -hmm. Because she remembered a childhood when white whiskey peddlers didn't loiter around the reservation. People didn't pawn their clothes and their land for more alcohol. That was a, pr a problem. People were selling their clothes and their land 
her alcohol. Um, She persuaded the Office of Indian Affairs to ban liquor sales in towns formed within the reservation boundaries. Um, But unfortunately, the like perils of alcohol that she railed against came into her home because her husband struggled with his own alcoholism issues. No. So he contracted tuberculosis, which was exacerbated by his drinking and died in 1905 leaving her a widow with two young boys because her sons were born in the 1890s and this is 1905 so they were young still oh my god so now she's a single mom working 20 hours a day (laughs) for no money i mean she's doing it for no fucking money yeah well i'm sure it's more money than a lot of people were able to make on a reservation at the time but yeah yes yeah but less money than she would have made if she had stayed on the East Coast, like everyone begged her to yeah. at her school. Yep. Uh, and at this point, she needed some healing herself because her long hours led to chronic pain and respiratory issues. Oh, my God. After Baby. her husband's death, this is so interesting to me. She also had to spend the next couple of years in a legal battle with the Bureau of Indian Affairs to prove she was more competent than her brother-in-law to oversee her husband's estate. Which had left about 185 acres of land in South Dakota to their two sons. So basically her husband died and it was like, oh, so my sons are going to get this land. So I should be in charge of it until they're old enough. And they're like, no, it should go to his brother, a man. Well, men's brains are bigger. So it Mm -hmm. automatically means more intelligence and blah, blah, blah. Yep. She won. Ugh. So the matter eventually was settled in her favor, and she, acting for her sons, invested money from the estate and sale of the land into rental properties and used the income to support her family. Damn, girl. Yep. In 1913, she finally managed to solicit enough donations to open a hospital near Walthill, Nebraska, the first such facility to be built on reservation land without any support from the federal government. Her hospital was open to anyone who was ill, no matter their age, gender, or skin color. It was the first modern hospital in Thurston County. Wow. Um, However, by the time it opened, her health was frail, and she would succumb to a three-year battle with what is suspected to be bone cancer in 1915. Fuck. And that's painful shit. Mm Mm-hmm. Yep. So. God. Yeah. She would have been what? 40, 65 to 15, 50, 50. Yeah. 75, 85, 95, yeah, 50, 50 years old. Um, Ugh. And yet, unlike so many male chiefs and warriors, Susan LaFleche was virtually unknown beyond the Omaha reservation until earlier this year when she became the subject of Starita's book and there was a PBS documentary about her titled Medicine Woman. Um, okay. She's buried in uh, Bancroft Cemetery near her parents' sisters and an older half-brother. Um, her older brother, Francis LaFleche, was apparently a renowned ethnologist, anthropologist, and musicologist who focused on Omaha and Osage culture. So, Wow. That's cool. Um, her son, Carol, served in World War II, eventually winding up in Detroit, Michigan. Her other son, Pierre, would live in Walthill, where he raised a family of three kids. The hospital in Walthill was named Dr. Susan LaFleche Picot Memorial Hospital and declared a National Historic Landmark in 1993. Oh, good. I'm glad. I'm glad that at some points her contribution was recognized. Well, I'm glad in some that way. 
that her own tribe kept her immortalized, basically memorialized enough so that one day when people actually started to give a shit about this kind of thing, people would be like, oh, well, I know somebody. Yep. Because regardless of her complicated philosophies and and um, the ideas of bringing Western culture into your your tribe, she still did so many great things for her people and and I think lives leaves a, a lasting legacy. And uh, there was one of the articles posted about yeah. um, a native woman who became a doctor because of her. It Ugh, representation matters. Yeah. When she's like, I always say that. But yeah. Jesus, it's amazing how that can do it, which makes me think we just started watching the first episode of Diary of a Future President on Disney Plus yesterday. Oh, which is a, a Gina Rodriguez is like the guest star who is president. And I was like, is she right. old enough? She is. She's 35. That's barely. Oh. But um, but it's about right. uh, Gina Rodriguez looking back on her diary when she was a kid. <laughs> and hmm. obviously it's a Latina woman yep. who's president, which is yep. pretty revolutionary currently. But yeah, that's interesting. I just started Hentified. Oh, what have you have you seen that one? No, on, um, Netflix, and it is about it's. I've literally only one episode in, but it is about um, a man and his family who own a taco business, a taco restaurant, like a traditional taco slash Mexican restaurant in East LA, uh-huh. and how gentrification is affecting them. Oh, and um, one of their like I don't know if he's a cousin or something, but he this guy went to um, culinary school, and he like a very westernized culinary school, and works in a very westernized restaurant, and um, he is sort of looked to by the end of this episode anyway, to give them some guidance on like what white people want out of like might want out of this restaurant because they are dealing with a changing landscape and they are no longer serving the same clientele wow. that they've been serving for so long. And it is very complicated and super fascinating. Um, but I'm really curious about how it's going to end. Are you a good witch or a bad bitch? Let us know by becoming a patron on, on our, our Patreon. Patreon. <laughs> oh, no. Patreon is a service that helps content creators like ourselves keep the ship going and make sure that we're able to cover all the costs that uh, come along with doing our podcast. And the more patrons we get, hopefully the more content we can start creating exclusively oh, yeah. for patrons. Yes. So if you are interested in something like that, please become a patron so that we can start creating that content for you. Also, when you become a patron, you will get a shout out on our podcast and we will thank you personally on air. How exciting is that? Very exciting. Yeah, yeah. You can find us at patreon.com slash podcast. Do you want some on this day? After our, our fascinating story of Susan LaFleche, the first native woman maybe person to earn a medical degree in the United yes, States. Yes, please. And I I am so grateful to anybody who um writes that script and makes that movie. Please yeah, right? get on that. Yes. Please and thank you. I might send her story to 
one of my friends who's a native writer will be like, do please it. write this. <laughs> do it. At the very least, like, get it on their radar. Yeah, I will. Yeah, but yes, um, on this day. On this day. I believe it is March 25th, and I'm winging this. So, Benjamin. Yeah. Here we go. Sorry, Benji. <laughs> ooh, ooh, ooh. Appropriate. 1584. Sir Walter Raleigh is granted a patent to colonize Virginia. Okay. Wow. Yeah. 1802. The Treaty of Amiens is signed as a definitive treaty of peace between France and the UK. Okay. Yep. 1807. The Slave Trade Act becomes law, abolishing the slave trade in the British Empire. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. This is... This one's way more interesting than last last week. <laughs> yeah, last week sucked. <laughs> 1807, the Swansea and Mumbles Railway, known then as the Oystermouth Railway, becomes the first passenger-carrying railway in the world. Wow. Yeah. Damn. Uh, 1811, <laughs> Percy Shelley is expelled from the University of Oxford for publishing the pamphlet The Necessity of Atheism. Which we've talked about in our episode about Mary Shelley last October. Percy Shelley. Yeah. Yes. If you haven't listened to the Mary Shelley episode, he is Mary Shelley's husband. Yes. Very interesting man. Into the free love movement and atheism and all of that good juicy shit. Yep. Um, In 1911... In New York City, the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory fire kills 146 garment workers. Holy shit. That's today? Yeah. Which is important to remember because it was a time when people started fucking breaking up trusts and saying fuck you to big corporations who didn't give a shit about their employees. Because at the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory, uh, they basically locked their employees inside to avoid the spread. and let, let them, them die. burn to death mm-hmm. inside this factory because they had improper... Mostly women, by the way. Yeah, primarily women. They had bad safety measures in place. They locked these doors. Everything inside was flammable. Shit caught fire. And they let these women burn to death inside the building. Yep. And it, and it marked a moment in our time when people were like, okay, so wealth does not trump the lives of the citizens of America, regardless of gender and or sex. And um, I think we are due for that kind of thinking at this mm-hmm. point. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, this one's depressing. Cool. 1931, the Scottsboro boys are arrested in Alabama and charged with rape. Which is, of oh. course, like a, a pre-pre version of the Central Park Five, where it's a bunch yep. of uh, it was nine black teenagers aged 13 to 20 who were falsely accused in Alabama of raping two white women on a train in 1931. Nine? Yep. Oh, my God. The cases included a lynch mob before the suspects had been indicted, all white juries, rush trials, and disruptive mobs. It's commonly cited as an example of miscarriage of justice in the U.S. legal system. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. Jeez. Yeah. Um, you got some crazy ones today. I know. Oh, 1948. The first successful tornado forecast predicts a tornado will strike Tinker Air Force Base in Oklahoma. <laughs> oh, my God. All right. 
Yeah. 1957, U.S. Customs seizes copies of Allen Ginsberg's poem Howl on grounds of obscenity. Really? Mm-hmm. Okay, Customs. <laughs> 1965, civil rights activists led by Martin Luther King Jr. successfully complete their four-day 50-mile march from Selma to the Capitol in Montgomery, Alabama. What a crazy what is day! What about today? What the heck? <laughs> 1969, during their honeymoon, John Lennon and Yoko Ono hold their first bed in for peace at the Amsterdam <laughs> Hilton Hotel. Oh, man. <laughs> Funny pair. Yep. Um, whoa. 1970. This is crazy. And these are all interesting, too. Um, 1979, the first fully functional space shuttle orbiter, Columbia, is delivered to the JFK Space Center to be prepared for its first launch. Oh, all yeah. right. 1995, WikiWikiWeb, the world's first wiki, <laughs> is made public. WikiWikiWeb, WikiWeb. WikiWikiWeb. Let's end on someone's birthday, maybe. If there's anyone cool. Oh, it's Jenny oh, no. Slate's birthday. Happy birthday, Jenny Slate. Jenny Slate. Oh, I love her. Me too. So that's also, that's where we're going to end. I love her Netflix special that came out a couple of months ago. So if you need a laugh, go watch her Netflix special because mm-hmm. it's great. Mm-hmm. She's the best. But there you go. That's March 25th in a nutshell. Amazing. Wow. Such an active day. It really is. Yeah. But right. uh, what are you, what are you excited about right now? Well, I, you know, I'm going to be so interested to listen to this next week, depending on where we're at, just because like right now, there isn't much to do. Like, there isn't a lot to go and, you know, observe. Right. So I'm mostly excited about things that I'm watching and or reading. Yeah, that's fair. Um, And most of it is sci-fi. I, so I just finished a book called, um, a memory called Empire by Ooh. Arcady Martine. And it is, it's from Tor. I have no idea when it came out. I think it was, I think it was out very recently. Um, but it, it's a space opera that is complicated and beautifully written and queer. And I fucking loved it. So All right. if you need something to read and you want something dense that'll keep you occupied. That is absolutely something that will do that. Cool. And uh, and a show that I have been waiting for since we saw a preview of it at Comic-Con in October is oh, Devs. Oh, yeah. D-E-V-S. And Alex Garland is the director and creator of this show. And he did um, Annihilation and Ex Machina. He also wrote 28 Days Later and Sunshine. So he is one of my favorite people on the face of this earth. And FX basically gave him like an unlimited budget to just go make the sci-fi show of his dreams. So. Wow. Can we get that? Yeah. Yeah. It's. Yeah. Seriously. <laughs> um, it's on Hulu and Nick Offerman is in it. Mm-hmm. And he's like, he's not doing scary comedy and weird. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. I, I watched an interview with him. I think it was on Jimmy Kimmel where he was like, so Alex Garland never saw Parks and Rec, which is why I have this part. Interesting. Because he but had also, no you've idea. never seen Parks and Rec. Jenny Slate I, yeah. is in that too. Shit. I know I got to watch it, but I got to watch so many things. It's we can, unfair. Let's try and have like a watch party. I know that there's like apps or whatever, so you can line it up so everybody's watching at the same time. Oh. We can live watch some together. All right. In this quarantine. I mean, this is the time to do it. It is. For sure. Uh, and so, on um, that note. Yeah. Uh, support us on Patreon or Ko-Fi if you are still getting an income because we really aren't. Um, <laughs> maybe the government yeah. will step up by the time we release this. But Yeah, um, we were reading articles just now about potential uh, universal basic income for the next few weeks. We have no idea if that will be in effect at any point. Patreon.com we'll slash GWBB podcast or ko-fi.com slash GWBB podcast. Um, yes, ma'am. We love you anyway, even if you don't give us money, though. We love your support. You guys who um, contact us on email or Twitter or Instagram, you guys are the best. It you bolsters my us- spirits. Yeah. Anyone who leaves us great reviews, we love you too. Um and anyone who has just reached out in the last couple of weeks to say, you guys are my favorite and I listen to you all the time. Thank you because what? that just Thank like, you. makes me, yeah, that just makes me so happy. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. For Thanks, sure. guys. And uh, yeah. On, that, On note. that note. Peace out, witches. Wash your hands. Wash your hands. Bye. Don't touch your face. listening to good witches bad bitches thank you so much for listening we really appreciate it good witches bad bitches is hosted by deanna greif me you and you (laughs) hannah ferguson and we're produced by benjamin garst um you can find us on itunes stitcher spotify google play google play pretty much anywhere you listen to your podcasts you can find us there we're also on social media you can find us on instagram and twitter and facebook gwbb podcast you can also email us at gwbbpodcast at gmail.com we love to receive emails if you have a story about a woman in your life that you want to hear on air uh shoot it over to us we would love to read it if you want to help keep us running you can find us on patreon at patreon.com slash gwbb podcast (laughs) become a patron and help us you know pay for our hosting yeah patreon really helps content creators be able to continue to create their content and it just kind of helps us break even on the costs of producing this podcast and it would be really awesome if you wanted to help out if you like it you can be a part of it also to help us out you can rate review and subscribe all of the all of those things are extremely helpful for us they help other listeners find us yeah. Word of mouth, also good. Yeah. <laughs> our website is gwbbpodcast.com. You can find all of our episodes there as well as some other things bubbling out of our witchy cauldron. Good Witches, Bad Bitches is powered by Moonbounce. Moon